we just showed up one day and never left. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I slept in my cubicle for the first year and a half. You don't have to do that if you're a clean tech entrepreneur anymore. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is November 21st, 2022. I'm Eric Planey. I am Lucas Finko. I am Jeremy McCool. Well, welcome, Jeremy. Together, the three of us are, this Thanksgiving week, the Pirates of Clean Tech. Yar! 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 That was a nice. good one. There was a little pause there, Jeremy. I was a little worried that you weren't going to participate in this uh, festive ritual. Yeah, I wouldn't leave you yarring by yourself. That's not... That's not the kind of guy I am. I, I yar with my friends. Nice. Yeah. Came, came through very strong. So thanks. You're in the top I didn't want to over yar. I didn't want to over yar your yar there. That was that's that's that, that wasn't the game. I wasn't in. I wasn't interested in that. I don't know where Lucas. I don't know where you were, man. Like you know, you're supposed to be right up there. You kind of like just walked away for a minute. Well, I was, yeah, well, yeah, I was what Jeremy yar, but yeah. Too much of a yar. You know, I didn't want to put you on the plank like that so quickly, Lucas. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure you got to. You got a way to start this off that's going to just kick it into overdrive anyway. Exactly right. Well, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Lucas because uh, Lucas and Jeremy go back a ways. And Lucas, feel free to introduce our excellent guest we have for this week. Yeah, so today we have Jeremy McCool. Uh, he and I got to know each other when we when we taught in the Clean Tech Certificate Program at NYU. It's called Clean Start. Uh, so if you're interested getting involved in clean tech and you don't know what to do or you don't know anybody, uh, you can take that program at NYU. Uh, we highly recommend it. It's all online still, so you don't even have to be in New York. Clean Start at NYU. You can Google it and uh, go there. And Jeremy has been an incredibly successful clean tech entrepreneur. He's the top of mind when I think clean tech entrepreneur, as far as I'm concerned, he started the business called Hevo. It's a wireless charging system for EVs. So it's really cool tech. It's It looks like a um, a manhole cover that just uh, is in the street or the road or in your, in your garage. And it uses a magnetism to um, transmit power onto your car, charge your EV. Really cool tech. He's been working at it a long time. So I actually wanted to start there with our with our questions because I know you're one of those people who it could seem today that you had this overnight success and that you made it, right? Uh, you've had a lot of recent success and we're really happy for you. But I've actually known you for many, many years and I've known that this has been a really long and tough road uh, for you to build this business in the EV space. So I'm wondering if you could Talk to us a little about your journey with uh, Hevo. Lucas, why'd you start it off that way? It was so great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to follow up on. No, I, I'll tell you this. Lucas has been a, a great friend of not only Hevo, but of the clean tech industry in general. New York and the clean tech, uh, just entire platform that New York has, has provided. A lot of that has been, in many ways, uh, because of, of people like Lucas getting involved so so early in, if, and if we didn't have people with his voice and and his willingness to to step up to the plate to make it happen, a lot of a lot of folks would have fallen back and just not have done it. And that program was was really developed to help uh, coordinate not only folks like like Lucas but entrepreneurs like myself 
to bring real world application to the educational environment, right? And so lucky to have been part of that program uh, for four years that I got to teach. The Clean Tech Entrepreneurship Program helped to produce uh, a few clean tech companies, but we all know, as as you've already told me, Eric, anybody that's had to take Lucas's classes understands that Tableau is something that you just can't get out of your nightmares after you've learned it. So <laughs> thanks a lot to all the emotional damage <laughs> that Lucas has brought to so many students across the board. Jeremy, I don't know if you realize this, but I think subconsciously you said tableau and you really emphasize blow there. And I, think, <laughs> I, I feel like that's appropriate. <laughs> you know, Lucas also being the, the good friend of clean tech that he is giving me the chance to come up on this platform with you and Eric uh, is really amazing. So let me tell you a little bit about Hevo. Yeah, we're a wireless EV charging company headquartered out of New York, started it off as I was finishing grad school at Columbia University. Interesting was that before that, I was leading troops into combat. So as an Army combat officer, I was, I was leading infantry uh, soldiers into combat in 2007, 2008 in Baghdad. And I just wanted to come back and do something different, uh, something focused on radically reducing and, in fact, eliminating transportation-based fossil fuels. I just saw that as the next step in my life. And I went to Columbia with a focus to, to try to figure it out. And so SEPA, I don't know, for whatever reason, they, they let me in. I, I got super lucky to get in and they let me in and they let me choose my own type of adventure. And so my adventure was, let me figure out how to create a clean tech company. And bouncing around back in 2009, 2010 in clean tech, that wasn't easy. There was almost no reason to go into solar or wind. Think mm -hmm. about like the Solyndra day, right? The, those days had already really soured clean tech. So being somebody that wanted to go into it was super strange. But I found it to be really rewarding to, to investigate things like EVs and solar and wind. And when I started to investigate EVs, I... The thing that kept coming back to is how the heck are we going to charge all these cars? We're going to have cables everywhere? It doesn't make any sense. I just couldn't get around that, that problem. And I started to ask these fleets, PepsiCo and uh, Cola and some folks like Frito-Lay and Fresh Direct, well, you're adopting electric trucks and vans into your, your delivery fleets. How are you charging these things? And they would show me and there'd be cords laying all over these fleet yards. Crazy. It looked like a nightmare, a mess. And the fleet yard, Managers have never had to deal with things like this before, right? They're very used to OSHA standards for safety saying no tripping hazards, nothing that can electrocute you. And then at the same time, there's all these other union labor issues where drivers are not allowed or restricted to uh, charging because it's the same thing as putting in a, a, a gasoline pump into a, a, the side of a vehicle. Same thing. So they're not allowed to. So they had to figure out well, how are we going to do this? And, and a lot of the answers were we have to charge uh, these things using charging attendants. So they would hire people literally to stand by and wait to plug these things in, right? But that's obviously a cost overrun. It's not efficient. And it cer certainly doesn't help with the TCO of the value of those vehicles. So I'm just asking very nonchalantly, hey, how, how would you feel about wireless charging these things like a mobile phone, except for your, your truck? And they would 
light bulbs would just all of a sudden turn on. They say, that's what we need. That means that people can just simply charge and it's safe and it's out of the way and we can come in and bulldoze everything with snow that we get piled up in here. And it's, you know, all these things that they needed to do. So I started looking around and there was nobody else out there doing it. Just thought, you know what, why not? If not me, then nobody else is going to do it. Let me give it a shot. So I kicked it off in my final semester. And the funny thing is, is that I didn't have any money. (laughs) I didn't have a team. I wasn't an engineer. I'd never started a company. I had absolutely the least amount of experience and expertise that you could ever fathom to start something like this. So I can tell you this, when it comes to anybody thinking about an idea and thinking they can't do it, just know for sure you're going to walk into almost any scenario with more expertise and experience than I ever did because electromagnetic resonance is not something that I've ever heard of until about 12 years ago when I first started researching this, right? So fast forward a little bit. And we got this amazing agreement in place as an incubated company at NYU School of, of Engineering. Back in the day, it was known as NYC Acre, became Urban Future Lab later on. We, we, were managed, we managed to get into that incubation system. And as part of that, we, we got introduced to the folks at the School of Engineering at NYU. And I think, honestly, for... <laughs> Whatever reason, I just had all the right notes the moments I met the professors, and they thought this was going to be something that they wanted to put their whole faculty to. So we got, we got their, their PhD students and their master's students working on this back in 2012 with us, and we, we solely licensed, exclusively licensed this, the, the hardware that was developed in those laboratories and then have taken that all the way through the process of becoming UL and SAE certified and the first company in the world to ever actually commercialize wireless EV charging successfully. And we're literally <laughs> producing this in Brooklyn, New York. So I, I can say this, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. We're now on four continents around the world. And we've had some really incredible news over the last several months. But uh, those, those announcements have come on 10 plus years of very hard work by a, a really dedicated team of incredible people. Wow. You, I mean, you hit on a lot of things. First off, I want to say we're 10 days past Veterans Day. So happy belated Veterans Day. And thank you for the service that you provided to the country when you were serving. Uh, and now you're providing another service that we're going to talk about here. Um, and you mentioned UL. Uh, I'm going through UL process certification right now at my company. I know how arduous it is. So they have that, I think they have that veteran fortitude, that military service kind of mentality to get it done is exactly what startups need. So I think it's a yeah. great but um, talk a little bit more about what exactly for someone who's really one-on-one on this, what exactly is inductive charging? And, you know, I guess a question right now, especially everyone's talking about the fear factor of our charging infrastructure taking so much electricity usage that the grid may not be ready for it. Does inductive charging require more or less electricity for the same amount of charging that, say, a level two plug-in charger would require? Talk, talk a little bit about the technology. So first, interesting thing that's happened with the bipartisan infrastructure bill, there's $10 billion dedicated to EV-related infrastructure of some sort, also hydrogen as well, just to be very clear about that. What that equates to is what we hope is a lot of EV charging infrastructure. This 
country really needs to think about how they're going to adopt infrastructure first. And, and I got to tell you, there's a bunch of programs like NEVI and things that are out there that are saying put DC fast charging every 50 miles to improve long distance travel and give people really the freedom of choice and capabilities to travel without that range anxiety. But there's a lot more to the story because user experience and feedback from that and uptime on the chargers where there's reports that 20, 25% of all public charging is inoperable. I mean, there's just so many unique problems within a nascent industry of EVs. We think that EVs are everywhere. They're really not yet. We haven't even got close to what's gonna happen in the next 10 years. And if we don't take the right steps now, we're gonna end up with a giant folly of a problem right down the pipeline in the, in the near future. So wireless charging, what is it? Electromagnetic resonance is a very safe and old form of transformer to transformer uh, type of technology that transfers power very efficiently between two transformer coils. Think of it like this. What we do is we take the same format of charging that you use for wirelessly charging devices like mobile phones. But the difference is, is that we have met these industry standards for UL and SAE, and SAE is the Society of Automotive Engineers. These are universal standards adopted and approved by all major automakers. And so there have been, over the last 10 to 12 years, these standards developed specifically for wireless EV charging, and Hilo became the first company in the world to ever meet all those requirements. And we did that back in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic on top of that, which was insane to go through. But what it ultimately is, is we are transferring power on a fixed frequency of 85 kilohertz. That is the standard frequency for wireless charging of electric cars. No other frequency type of technology exists on that band because it does not, we do not want to interrupt or, or potentially interfere with any other devices, right? So first and foremost, it's a very specific frequency. And it was, it was dedicated to that specific thing, EV wireless charging, because also it happens to be within that range of frequency, you're able to transfer power very efficiently. So you can do it at distances easily up to eight inches, 12 inches within if, uh, a standard of 90% or above efficiency from grid to battery. We do it all day, every day. So over the period of time of about a decade of development, some of the things that have been kind of luck of the, of the draw is for this industry, wirelessly be charging to be the beneficiaries of new technologies that have come out, especially around things like semiconductors. New semiconductor technology has come out that's rapidly more efficient and capable than what it was just five years ago. And so these little variances of all the parts and materials and things that we've had to, to, to figure out how to cobble together and make as a single package has produced a technology that is priced within competitive uh, pricing to plug-in charging now. So as, as an example, level two charger for our wireless charging system that has all this built-in intelligence, a capability to forecast state of charge, things like locking out the system and reserving it just for specific drivers, things like certified revenue grade energy metering. So there's back of the meter uh, metering already happening in it. 
It's cloud connected, all that plus a unique LED display for less than $2,000. And we are the only company in the world that has a hybrid charging solution that gives you both wireless and plug-in charging in the same package. We're the only ones. So you can do AC plug-in charging or wireless charging from the same station, not at the same time, but you can do either or. And it scales. So today we have an eight uh, kilowatt system that has been already UL approved. We will have 11 kilowatts UL approved very soon. We jump from there to 25 kilowatts, and then we jump from there to 350 kilowatts. Our technology limitations really at this point is battery technology. We don't have anything in our way in the form of whatever plug-in charging can do, wireless charging is capable of doing the same. And here's really something interesting, Eric. At around 25 kilowatts to 50 kilowatts, you get to a price point where wireless charging actually becomes the better pick because of price. And why that is, is very simple. We use less material. So think of this from a clean tech point of view, right? If you're in, if you've have an, you have an ESG target and your ESG target, if you're a big company, you're looking at all the supply chain of all the companies that are, are providing you services. And if, if you look at plug-in charging, you, you see all this cabling, you see all the copper wiring, you see all the things that are developed to make a 250 kilowatt or a 350 kilowatt charger work versus what we have for a 350 kilowatt charger. It's, it's no comparison. We use a significant less amount of materials and raw goods than they do. And therefore, the price is cheaper. That's fascinating. That is really amazing. The here you have parity on electricity usage, I think, is really significant because uh, I think a lot of people don't have that perception. So it sounds like the solution is really coming about. It is. So it's, it's all about price, performance, and product. That's how we look at it, the three Ps. Mm-hmm. So the price has to be there. If you don't got the economics, don't bother. Second thing is that the performance isn't there and that has to be both certifications, but also how the system performs versus plug-in charging, don't bother. And the final thing is, is do you have the product line, a robust product line to meet all the different types of scenarios and requirements? So a person that has a home charging requirement is different than that has level two is different than a person and a fleet at a, at a fleet yard. Those are just way different systems, robustness, industrial development requirements, all these things. You have to have all that. And by the way, we not only have an award-winning hardware technology that we call resonant. So all of our products for, for wireless charging, we call it resonant because that's what we do. We resonate. So our products are called resonant, but we also have this complementary software that helps people to eliminate range anxiety. And the way that we do that is, this is, it took us 10 years to develop the software equal at the same time when we're doing the hardware, you know, not quite 10 years, but in the range of. And so with our software, you're able to use it like a Google Maps or a Waze, you put in a, an address, and then it, it plans your route for you based upon the performance of your vehicle, the type of charging that you can use. Uh, the best route to take you from point A to point B to point C, the fastest in terms of optimization, hmm. then plans out what stations you're going to charge at, how long you're going to charge at the stations while calculating terrain, traffic, weather, weight of the vehicle, extra passengers, wow. extra luggage, things that you might have in there. And it spits out within seconds. It doesn't matter how far you're driving. 
and across the United States, the entire route with your dedicated route, uh, route and charging stations. And by the way, completely agnostic to any vehicle or any charging equipment. So it's not just about our wireless charging systems. It's about any type of charging stations. The difference though, is if you're using the Hevo charging equipment or our stations, then we actually reserve it for you ahead of schedule before you arrive, it locks out. So nobody else can pull up and charge before you, you arrive there. And until you arrive, you are the key to the charging station being the lock. And so when you're about 200 meters out, communications between the vehicle side equipment for wireless charging and the charging station side for wireless charging create a wireless bond uh, and they start to transfer information utilizing that key and lock system so that when you're arriving within the last like 20 feet or so, it automatically switches over to unlocking the station for you and then helping you to align your vehicle. So there's an LED display that's on the, on the station along with, you can use the mobile app to do that as well, or it can be in your in-dash display of your vehicle. So we do have other options there for CarPlay and Android Auto that's helping you to align your car as you're pulling up so that you know you're within the right accuracy location of where that charger is. Because you might, you're not gonna see it, it's a pad, right? And it's either surface mounted or it's flush mounted in the street, like Lucas said, like a manhole cover, or it's underneath the asphalt completely. You won't even see it. So you need something to help you kind of align it because you can't, you know, there is forgiveness, but we want you to get the highest efficient charge that you possibly can get. So there's this really unique gamification that we created for that. And as soon as you pull up and you turn your vehicle off and you're parked over that pad, charging starts automatically. You didn't even have to think about it. No button, no getting out and messing with kiosk, no getting out and try to authenticate, you know, charges. I've had to charge vehicles where I pull up to a public charger, had to call a phone number, wait for 30 minutes to get to customer service, tell them the charger's not working, and then they have to turn it on for me remotely. That is insane. You cannot do that in a, in a real market. So we eliminate all those missteps in the charging experience, not only with the seamlessness, the simple you know, nature and the safeness of wireless charging, not having to get out in the cold weather or in rain to plug in. But on top of that, you show up to a charger that was dedicated to you. And all you had to do is just put in the address that you want to go to or select the location you want to go to. And it's automatically done for you. Cool. 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 Could you talk a little bit about Beachhead Markets? I mean, where is Hevo best suited? Where, where are you trying to roll out? Yeah, so right now, We've got to focus on fleet. Fleet has been our beachhead market day one. We just made a public announcement about this thing called clean transit uh, access. And so for us, this clean uh, transit access program is about providing charging to locations where there are mass transit deserts in New York City. And we were the selected provider for the EV charging by a company called Dollar Ride, which is another clean tech company in New York that was part of the UFL, Urban Future Lab, Acre System, once upon a time. <laughs> so them and Block Power, you probably know Donnell Barrett, I would imagine, Lucas, you guys probably have crossed paths once or twice. So Block Power, Dollar Ride, this other company called Bill Edison that has an amazing founder who's on our board of advisors uh, named Kristen Barbado and Hevo, we came together as a consortium 
And we said, we can bring all the best things of clean tech to the city now. How do we do that? Well, Dollar Ride is a company that has a fleet of existing internal combustion engine vehicles, these vans that people in these mass transit desert, there's over 120,000 New Yorkers daily that utilize what are called dollar vans to get around because they don't have any other access for, for transit to do so. So we're gonna transition the first 100 plus of those vehicles to electric. They're gonna charge overnight in public charging locations that are in these public parking lots uh, for retail and other locations. And they're gonna charge wirelessly overnight. And these are gonna be hybrid locations with both wireless and plug-in charging. So they're gonna also have plug-in charging for people that just have regular EVs that wanna come in and plug in during the day. So that's our very first real big one kicking off. And we just announced a partnership also with Lightning E-Motors, who is the largest provider of mid-duty size vehicles in the United States to date. Uh, they, they're uh, headquartered out of London, uh, Colorado. And so we executed that partnership agreement and announced that last week as well. Cool. Very exciting to see these uh, rollouts happen. I can't wait to see a Hevo charger in the wild. It should be really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, it's like spotting your first Bengal tiger in the wild too. You're just, is it real? Is it there? I can't tell. Yeah. yeah but we, we can't wait. We're going to put out over a hundred chargers in the city. So here's something to, to note. There are only 300, well, planned for 300 public chargers in the city, right? And that got rolled out in the last couple of years. There's going to be now 400 and 100 of those are going to have wireless charging with them. That's a hell of a statement to make. So the city of New York and the state of New York has granted us the capability to prove that wireless charging is going to be something that everybody wants to have. And by starting it this way and, and putting it into neighborhoods that have problems with access to, to transit options, amazing. We couldn't have uh, been part of a, a better program to kick it off. Now, there are other related fleets that we're, we're starting to prepare for other projects with, big three-lettered uh, logistic companies. You probably know some of the names. And they're already starting to tra transition over to electric. And guess what? They're having problems verbatim from these customers, what we have heard is these fleet managers and fleet owners, when it comes to electrification, 10% of the job is purchasing the electric vehicle. 90% of the job is figuring out how to charge them, how to get leases to put EV infrastructure into locations that they rent, they don't own, how mm. to run line from those buildings out to where the charging stations are located at, what a kilowatt is, what does that equate to in terms of KWH to mileage for these vehicles, there's just so many other things that go on other than just purchasing the electric truck or the vehicle. Yeah. And the majority of it is around the infrastructure. So we've hmm. had uh, companies say, we're going to transition 40% of our fleet by 2030. And we need the EV charging infrastructure that's going to make that as seamless as possible. And we think wireless charging can get it done. So we're going to start rolling out some public announcements soon, uh, you know, soon being in the next few months for some of those projects. And we can't wait to make those announcements because they're going to be huge. Cool. Uh, we can't wait for them either. Um, all right. So this is my pie in the sky question. I always love one of those. And as we were talking about before we went on the air, 
you can't escape clean tech right now. We are, we are so dedicated to it that my wife and I were on vacation last month in Portugal. And we were on one of these old vans going up to like some castle town on top of a mountain. And the driver was telling us how Portugal is doing this great job going clean energy, you know, wind and solar and hydro. But they want to electrify the tourism industry, which is so big, such a big part of the country. But these mountainous roads, none of the operators feel that they're going to have vans and trucks that can really have a battery that can withstand. And the charging infrastructure isn't there. And I think I texted you or sent you an IM saying, you know, what about this idea of making whole roads inductive? So that places like Portugal that have these massive vans that are going up to the mountain, they could constantly be charging as they're, as they're carrying and ferrying passengers. And that sounds so Jetsons futuristic, but it's not that futuristic, is it? I mean, the same concept actually exists, you know, relative to charging in a stationary spot. Like, how, where can we take inductive charging, I guess, is the question I'm going to ask. I'm going to tell you a story. When I was a child, my father was a a tech for R&D firms that were working on a lot of future stuff for Department of Defense. So I've always been around technology, high technology my whole life. My, bro- my brothers and I, we all learned how to tinker and build and rebuild engines and all kinds of things. Uh, growing up, it was just a constant learning process and figuring it out on our own and being taught how to, to build really unique uh, you know, pieces of equipment. Nothing compared to whenever I asked my father, why can't you drive down a street and the vehicle be in a, in a kind of like an airplane mode, autopiloting, and it be an electric car? And he just thought that was the silliest question I could ever ask him. Fast forward 35 years later, and we're quite literally on the cusp of doing this now. So last year or this year in April, Hevo demonstrated for the first time ever in the, the Detroit area, the ability to drive and charge. We did it with a Ford Mach-E and we did it at low power, low speed, but we did it in front of some of the most important people across the city and the state and also major automakers and, and folks like that. And they were just shocked that there was already technology out there that could move and charge vehicles at the same time. And now, with our partnership at Oak Ridge National Labs, Hevo is the commercial partner of Oak Ridge National Labs, which we have been funded by the Department of Energy to focus on development of high-power wireless charging systems, extreme fast charging, and one of the applications is in-road charging. So the next step of this is to showcase the technology from that laboratory in highway speed test at 200 kilowatts, so 60, 70 miles per hour while traveling and charging 200, mi- uh, 200 kilowatts while doing it. If you do it in a stretch of road, say for one mile, and you're traveling 60 miles per hour, you're going to add eight to 10 miles of range to the vehicle. And that technology has the ability to go into the megawatts. So when the technology for batteries catches up, that range could be extended 20 to 50 miles per one mile traveled at highway speed. So we're not far off from the technology. There are today projects happening in multiple places around the world and here in the United States that are preparing for it for inductive roads. But the real question is, 
with all this infrastructure and climate bill spending, can we get dedicated funds to help us out with this? Because there is the program for NEVI. Okay, totally get that. You want to put DC plug-in fast charging every 50 miles. But here's a really weird thing. For the same amount of money that it would take for you to put in, call it three to seven chargers, every 50 you know miles or so, you could do the same thing with inductive roads and then nobody ever has to stop. So that's the, contra- that's the contrast that people got to figure out. And the, the other thing is wireless charging is uniquely universal. Just like any phone or any other device, you can go to any wireless charging system anywhere in the world and they're going to charge because there's one universal wireless charging standard for those devices. And it's the same be true with wireless charging of, of vehicles. So hmm. uncomplicating it and doing mass adoptive type of operations with charging. I, I want to commute from Manhattan to Brooklyn every day over the Brooklyn Bridge or through the through the battery tunnel and charge on my way in on my on my way out and never have to stop and pull off to a quarter location on a curbside or in a paid garage or valet my car or have to figure out how to run a cord out of my window from my brownstone, you know, to my EV. We can do better. That technology is there. But what we really need is is policymakers and and decision makers to go, this has to be a priority for us. And we just have to get out there and start doing it. We have the capabilities. It's and it's uniquely also American made technology. One of the very few things that you could say in clean tech that is American made. <laughs> so <laughs> no cool. punch to anybody, but but it's it's it, this this is actually something that we can build from within and make it work for everybody. And so, to your point, we look at countries outside of the United States and in the Western Hemisphere, and they're going to be the ones that are going to leapfrog from ICE vehicles to wireless road charged EVs, just like they did with smartphones. There was no BlackBerry phones in Croatia. There was no BlackBerry phones in Greece. Nobody, you know, you know, nobody was using that. But 2006 comes around, we see a smartphone. By 2010, billions of people had internet and phone, telephony technology and Wi-Fi and Ethernet in their pocket and GPS. And we think this is what the same thing is going to happen with this technology. We are the smartphone to plug in charging being BlackBerry. <laughs> nice. Very cool. And you bring up a good point there, though. You're really only half of this charging equation. The vehicle has to accept the wireless charge, right? So you have to work with OEMs. So can you talk a little bit about how that's going and how you how you do that? It's a very old industry. And <laughs> so with that comes many barriers and challenges. <laughs> not made here is one of the key concepts that you have to overcome. So when you're trying to convince an automaker, the importance of something that you're trying to get them to supply to their customers, they're always going to measure it by price performance. And what is your product capability? So those three P's that we talked about earlier, 
But the last thing is there's a whole organizational chart of people that are in those charts for decision-making to say no. And so as you start to like move things in EV forward and they're just trying to figure out what they're going to do for EVs right now. A lot of them, they can't even produce them at the speed of what the demand is. Over 500,000 pre-orders for the Lightning, over 1.5 million pre-orders for the Cybertruck. That is unbelievable, unbelievable kinds of numbers, right? But at the end of the day, you have to work with them to encourage them through different means to do so. And so we're engaged with about seven out of the 10 largest automakers in the world, one way or another, hmm. to help them figure out at what level do they introduce wireless charging. Some of them are thinking about it from a point of view of aftermarket today for their existing customers with EVs. And hmm. you know that would work out somewhat well for those customers. But where the opportunity lies is in factory built-in uh, packaging. And this isn't expensive, by the way, guys. The vehicle side equipment, it's like $300 to $400. Hmm. That's it. And it only weighs about 25 pounds. Those are rounding errors to electric cars. Mm -hmm. Those cars are typically 40% average, more expensive than the internal combustion engine vehicle of the same equivalency. And on top of that, they're usually going to be in the range of 3,000 plus pounds. The super truck. The Hummer super truck weighs 10,000 pounds, guys. 10,000 pounds. <laughs> it's a tank. The battery, it's a tank. the battery weighs more than a Honda Civic, I heard. The battery <laughs> You're absolutely, it's insane how much <laughs> technology there is already on these vehicles. These are supercomputers. And here's the other thing. Wireless charging is already well suitable for and suited to, to do bidirectional. So... One of the biggest problems that we have with renewables, and you guys know this very well, is distributed energy has a massive problem and its generation is not always matched to demand, right? Well, the perfect place to put that at in that extra energy is into those batteries. And those batteries are huge. And you could take that power back with you. If you have a super truck at your home and it's parked in your garage and the lights go off in the neighborhood, you can power the neighborhood. With that super truck for days, for days. <laughs> I mean, this is this isn't far off things. We have the capability to do that today. We have the capability to do it today. And what we need is automakers to get on board with this. Now, here's the funny thing: when we talk about automakers, some of the denial that we often run into is, well, none of our customers have told us that they want it. Well, how do your customers know that they want it if they never even heard about it before, right? And so Volvo went out and they said, well, we need to ask our customers actually. And they went out and asked thousands of either existing or want to purchase EV drivers. And they said, what is it that you need to, to move into electrification? Well, the people that haven't yet purchased, 30% of them said, we want wireless charging. And that was five years ago, almost five years ago when that study was done. And there's been announcements by major automakers since 2014 that they were going to have wireless charging. BMW did it. Mercedes did it. Uh, Jaguar Land Rover's done it. it. Audi did it. Porsche did it. Porsche was supposed to come out with a Taycan with wireless charging on it. That was supposed to be part of the package. 
The problem is, guys, the problem that happened was that there was no suitable supplier, a tier one auto supplier that they could trust in to provide that technology at the time because there was no developed standards yet that they could test against. But that all changed in 2020 when Hevo mastered the ability to, during the pandemic, become both Society of Automotive Engineers qualified and UL certified. And those were the two primary requirements to be able to bring this technology forward. And since then, automakers have come back to the table going, well, all right, we still don't know if these customers want it, but you guys can actually give it to us. And so for us, it's still probably, to be very honest, uh, a period of 25, 2026, when you'll see it factory built in, but you will see it on vehicles in 2023 as aftermarket solutions. And that's going to be from Evo. And we're going to leave that market. Wow. That's fantastic. You know, it's funny because before we actually started taping this episode, the three of us were just warming up a little bit. We were talking about how clean tech really requires hardware solutions. If you're going to decarbonize this globe, you need mechanisms in order to do it. And it's so different than what the VC world is used to funding, for example, because of technology, a lot of it's software and apps. So there's a lot of people, especially now that people are getting laid off from the tech industry, they want to come into clean tech. They see it as a future. But I think there's an apprehension of some sort because of the fact that it's a little bit more hardware focused. You have to make something. And that may not dovetail well with experience. So talk a little bit about what advice you would give somebody that want to enter the clean tech industry whether or not it's somebody coming right out of school or it's somebody who wants to change their career, you went through it, Jeremy. You found a way and it took a while. It was an overnight success that Lucas said took a few years. What do you recommend to people for advice in order for them to get in the clean tech industry and to be as successful as possible, cognizant of all the hurdles and barriers? First and foremost is that you've got tools that we never had 10 years ago. When I started Hevo, Back in 2011, there were no electric cars on the roads. And I was trying to solve a problem that didn't even exist yet, right? We all now know the game. There's plenty of problems to solve for. People are very aware of those now. And there's no lack of interest of trying to solve them. But the tools to solve them are much different today than what we had back then. We went over three years without investment. Three years of near starvation. And it was tough. It was really tough. You don't have to do that today. Now you've got so many things like crowdfunding platforms. I'm going to tell you about something that we've done recently. We felt compelled to do it, not only because of what you brought up, Eric, which is that VCs tend to focus on software. And we've had VCs tell us they wanted us to bifurcate our software from our hardware so they could only invest in our software. We said no, Mm -hmm. because it's a package. You get Hevo. You don't get resonant hardware and then the journey software by itself that doesn't work for Hevo. And we don't want to, we don't want to bifurcate those things because it's a complete user experience that we've built together. It's one defined principle way to be able to do something better. So why would we break that up? It doesn't make any sense. You want to break up the Beatles, then go break up the Beatles, but not going to break up Hevo. I can promise that. So to the, to the point is that we started to, look at, well, is there better options out there that we could democratize investment in the Hevo earlier for retail investors? And we started looking at crowdfunding 
And I'll admit, I thought it was a scam when they were first coming out with different platforms. And I was, we were getting asked to, to, to bring Hebo onto platforms several years ago, but it wasn't until the last year or so that it became more possible. And the reason why is there were a lot of safeguards from the SEC side that kept investment from going over a little bit more than 1.05 million. That was it. You were capped out. You couldn't go over 1.05 million on crowdfunding. And then that got expanded to 5 million. And so these are, this is a, a cap that's been set for non-accredited investors to be able to invest in early stage companies with all the risk. And they can only you know, invest so much on a per year basis, but it at least democratizes the ability for them to do that. And what we found, this is so incredible. What we found by doing this is that the thousands of investors that came in onto our Republic crowdfunding uh, platform that we ran, uh, I should say the, the crowdfunding raise that we ran on the Republic uh, platform was that they gave us these testimonies about why they were compelled to invest. We had heard directly for the first time ever, for the first time directly from consumers, why they wanted wireless charging. And you can't ignore it. You simply can't ignore it. People that are postal workers, retired postal workers investing in Evo to augment their retirement <laughs> because they believe in the, in, in the product and the mission and the vision of, of what we're trying to achieve. People that are not EV owners, but want EV, but don't want to plug in. People that are existing EV owners that have had to suffer through the early adoption of what is out there today for charging. So mm-hmm. I implore early clean tech founders, if you need to raise capital, you don't have to do it the way that we had to struggle in the early years of clean tech. You've got these tools like crowdfunding out there. You've got sources like Clean Start out there where you can go get taught by some of the most brightest and, and best in the business like Lucas, who's <laughs> going to torture you for an entire <laughs> semester, but you're going to figure out what Tableau is. And I'm putting the emphasis on the blow, just like Eric said again. Perfect. And the other, <laughs> and the other thing is just that there are numerous amounts of incubators dedicated to specifically clean tech today. Uh, when, when we kicked off, I had to sneak into clean tech through the incubation system. We didn't get a duck. We didn't officially get approved <laughs> by NYC Acre. We just showed up one day and never left. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I slept in my cubicle for the first year and a half. You don't have to do that if you're a clean tech entrepreneur anymore. You can absolutely do this today with much less risk and and with with higher upside to be be honest about it and faster traction. There's customers today because of ESG and other related matters, especially on the business side, they have to have companies out there supplying them something and innovation innovation not iteration innovation is going to win the clean tech game and if we're if we're going to get it right we need people out there willing to innovate because if we leave it to the big companies guys if we leave it to the big companies all they're going to do is iterate and we're never going to get out of this problem so we need people out there willing to jump out leap out and take the risk and be a pirate of clean tech valley I am. I am so inspired by that. That's absolutely the right way to go. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 
You heard, you heard it here. We're seeing Eric. Eric's dimming down as this podcast is going. <laughs> We're going to completely go dark in a minute with Eric. It's just a whole bell there. Yeah, well, no, I mean, like the sun is, but the sun is refocusing for tomorrow. It's just a little sunset. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Refocus. We're going to be ready to come back even stronger tomorrow. And we've talked about this on the show before that, like, you know, the, the clean energy transition is difficult and, you know, it's not going to be easy. And we need, will innovation be enough to get us there? And your opinion is yes. Innovation got us to where we are right now. Uh, we didn't survive as a species without innovation. We need it. You have to, you have to have innovation. Hardware is hard. Fine. I'll accept the answers to that. But being that we also develop software, I can tell you software is also hard. <laughs> and it's not like you can just like overnight change software anymore either, right? You need to go through a whole step of approvals and process to do it so that you don't wreck the user experience for everybody. There are a lot of things that you can resolve from a point of view of better software. But when it comes to ESG, clean tech, and the movement that has to happen to eradicate the challenges around the world of what we're facing right now, which is massive climate change effects in the order that we've never seen before. I'm, I'm right now sitting in Texas, okay? EPCOS is never going to fix its grid system because it's so expensive to do so to winterize for temperatures that they don't think they'll see again for another 100 years from the 100-year storm that they just had two years ago, that's probably going to happen again in three years. Well, <laughs> this is a delusional problem to have to face, but they can't really do it, right? Uh, they have to take into consideration how does that scale over time. And I can understand from the point of view, well, let us help you. Let me tell you how we can help you in that kind of scenario. Right now, this entire tollway on the George Bush tollway, which runs east and west through the entire city from east dallas all the way to fort worth that tollway is being ripped up and repaired right now what a perfect time to put inductive wireless charging in the road and guess what people are already paying for the toll if you're going to be in that in that (laughs) inductive lane fine charge them in a little bit extra to go get that extra charge but guess what What you're doing is you're classifying customers, guys. You're classifying them in a way that you know that that is a a customer who's going to be repeat business now. Because what's the other option? To put thousands of dollars of charging equipment inside their garage and go through the six to 12 month waiting period to have an EV charger installed because the local utility, you know, has still not figured out how to do it. Come on, we can do better than this. It's, it's there, it's available, and we can do it today. And I, I'll say one more last thing about innovation. We are empowered to have this conversation right now because people stepped out of their comfort zones, realized there was a massive problem to solve, and created computers and created digital technology that can run on those computers. If it wasn't for them, there wouldn't be any ability for us to have this conversation right now. Think about 20 years from now, 40 years from now, the same kinds of discussions are going to be had by people just like us, except way younger, about what we did in our lifetime to set forward all the kinds 
of processes and programs that gave them the capabilities to survive and thrive as a species. That's mm. it. And mm. it, it's no waiting game. You either got to do it now or it won't, it won't happen. I love that because 20 years from now, when I finish my electric vehicle conversion project, I'm going to be able to go to Walmart and get an off-the-shelf Evo system to put on. That's the very last thing I'm going to do for my project. <laughs> well, perfect. when we're being sold in Walmart, then we all know we've all made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, look, this was a fantastic conversation, Jeremy. You bring so much to the table not just about the Hevo business model, which is well on its way, but really just an inspiration for a lot of people who are listening to us who are thinking about getting into clean tech and understanding the risks and opportunities. And you really crystallize it so well. And uh, and you even complimented Lucas too, which we don't do enough of. What's it? What did he? Yar. Yar. <laughs> yes. And you did it sober too, because you're drinking liquid. You're, what are you drinking right now? It's liquid death, mountain water. I'm, I'm trying to be cool. I don't have any other choice. If you want to buy bottled water these days, it's actually harder than buying the liquid death. But I can murder my thirst also with the liquid death, which I find very, very interesting. I'm just doing a local Hudson Valley Angry Orchard, even though it's national. A little crisp apple to watch the sunset here. It's perfect. Well, I I, I tell you this, I've enjoyed this so much. Uh, If you guys ever want to do it again, I, I would probably accept well, I think we're going to have you on again because we're going to be getting more and more better updates on all the good news that's taking place. So, Jeremy, I take, that I take that opportunity anytime you guys would give it to me. I really appreciate it. It's, <laughs> okay. so been, it's been so fun to chat with you guys. And these, these questions, I don't get the opportunity to, to really talk about these enough. So thank you for, for these excellent questions and providing a platform for this. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. And we are back, and I don't know about you, Lucas, but I'm so charged up right now, pun intended. But, uh, <laughs> Jeremy, I think, you know, on the side, should be doing some motivational speaking because um, I really, I, I, not only did I learn a lot, but I just feel really good about the the drive that he has to make Hebo successful. Yeah, I mean, what an awesome guy. He's totally motivated. He's totally dedicated. He's in the right space at the right time, doing the right things. Uh, it's just an awesome guy, eloquent speaker, just amazing to talk to him. And uh, it was a privilege for us to have him on. Yeah, It was. And I love the strategy. And, you know, he talks a lot about fleets. And that's exactly where I think the adoption needs to take place, right? Because yeah. you and I, over the weeks and months, have talked about, you know, the problems with electric vehicles, EV versus hybrid. Well, I think it's straight out that EVs and fleets go together very, very well. And if they can be the early adopters on something like inductive charging infrastructure, that's going to permeate in the right way for the average consumer when they're, you know, trying to drive five, 600 miles and they have this, uh, you know, ability they need to stop and they can stop with a dedicated inductive charging system by Hevo. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think that whole in the road thing might be a little tougher than he thinks, but... Definitely having wireless chargers around would be very, very helpful, very useful. You know, you just pull in your parking spot at the Walmart and your car's charging, you know? Yeah. That would be awesome. And, you know, to go back to the point I made in the question, a country like Portugal that's very mountainous, that does have 60% of its, you know, revenue from tourism, I'm making a number up, and they've got all these, you know, tour vans, they can justify 
an inductive road, if you will, going to the mountains, right? The U.S. is a lot different how much bigger we are, you know, these massive spaces. I don't think we're going to have it anytime soon, but maybe in those dedicated spots where it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, so I know, I know like New York State was super dedicated to EV buses, and there was this big question of when are we going to charge them? And I think Hevo solves that, which is brilliant. You know, you can put it right at the bus stop. The bus sits there for five, ten minutes, you know, while people load on and off or what have you. It can be getting charged during that time, and then it can go all day and all night, for that matter. You know, my first job out of college was in Dayton, Ohio, and they had buses in the mid-90s that dated back decades where you had a, you had the line like the trolley cars. You had a line above it with a, on a wire, so the bus was actually connected to a wire. So you had electric buses being almost like a rail car. But they were actually buses. So why couldn't you tear down that infrastructure and have bus routes in the United States that are elected, you know, inductive? Yeah, that's true. We've got light rail around. What's that, right? Catenary wire. It's very similar to that, right? Except you're just yeah. not you're not hooked to the rail. So, well, listen, uh, that went long. So we're gonna not do articles. We can do articles on our next episode. But um, yeah. that was really great. We we encourage people to enjoy it over Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, you know, just to let you know the views and opinions expressed by Lucas and I and our guest Jeremy are simply those of ourselves, not necessarily of the organization we're representing. Uh, and for any investment decisions, we didn't really talk about any public companies today. Oh, yeah. But making well, Hevo has uh, security you can purchase certainly. Oh, Volvo and GM. Oh. I think he hinted at UPS. Oh, I don't know. Three letters. We didn't. Three I don't letters. Know. <laughs> um, well, anyways. Uh, before making any decision on purchasing of any public security, please consult a registered investment advisor. Don't just simply listen to us. Yep. And you can find us uh, at your favorite podcasting venue of your choice. We distribute on about a dozen podcasting sites. Uh, you just search for Pirates of Clean Tech and you click subscribe or follow. And then you get updates when our new podcasts post. We're also on YouTube. If you want to follow along with us and, See our beautiful faces. Just go to YouTube, search for Pirates of Clean Tech, and you click subscribe, and then you click that uh, alarm bell. And if you like what you see, please click the like button and leave us a comment so we know if you enjoyed the episode or if you want to engage in conversation, feel free to do so. That's great. Well, with that, uh, Lucas and I want to wish all of you a happy and safe Thanksgiving holiday with your friends and family. Uh, I'm Eric Planey. I'm Lucas Finko. And we are the Pirates of Clean Tech. Yard! Ha ha ha! Got a yard there. Yard.